0: Rather than us just complaining about how things used to be and we're so frustrated because it'll never be that way again or it doesn't seem like it could be that way again. They still need to know there's a God out there who loves them. Because let me tell you, there's a lot of people wandering around that they don't have any clue. To the guide who reigns
1: above.
0: They think they know what they're doing. They're lost as lost can be. They need the message of the gospel.
1: But your precious
0: we must remind the next generation of God's abiding presence. And we also must remind the next generation of God's unfailing promises.
1: So we love to you alone.
0: No easy ending for Joshua and Caleb. Fight to the very end. Finish the job to the last breath. We have to remind the next generation that spiritual privileges are hard fought for and we can never grow lazy in holding fast to them.
1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Genesis. We have seen God's continual work and plan unfold in pages of history. God, having created the universe and everything in it, made man to have a relationship with himself. Man sinned and could no longer stand in the presence of God. But God had a plan. He had been working in the lives of one particular family, the family of Abraham. Last we saw Joseph, Abraham's great-grandson, was second in command over Egypt, the strongest nation during the time. God used Joseph to save thousands of lives during a famine, including the lives of Jacob and Joseph's brothers. Now Jacob knows he is soon to die is blessing the children of Joseph. Their names were Ephraim and Manasseh. Jacob was giving the firstborn blessing to Ephraim, even though chronologically Manasseh came first. We pick up with Pastor Will in Genesis chapter 48, verse 17.
0: Yeah, and then when Joseph explains, Jacob says he refuses, and he says to him, I know it, my son, I know it. I've not lost my mind. I'm fully aware of what I'm doing. And what I'm doing goes beyond what culture demands or what even your wishes might be for me, Joseph. The Lord has a different plan. How often is that the case in our lives? (laughs) The Lord has a different plan. We think the best thing is to follow a certain path, but God has something totally different planned for us. You know, Jacob explains to him, he says, listen, I know it, my son, I know it, but you leave my hands right where they are he also shall become a people, Manasseh, and he shall also be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And so he blessed them that day, saying, in thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And so he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Now, Manasseh had a greater population at the beginning of Israel's entering into the promised land. They also were given more land when the lots were determined and they were apportioned what land they would be in. But Ephraim throughout Israel's history had way more influence. And even though the capital of the northern kingdom was located in the tribe of Manasseh, that kingdom became known not as Manasseh. But the synonym for Israel became Ephraim. In fact, oftentimes you'll see in the scripture when God is dealing with the northern kingdom, he doesn't even call them Israel. He calls them Ephraim. He calls them Joseph. And so we see here that God gave the preeminence to Ephraim. Jeremiah 31, nine. it talks about this exact thing in Israel's history when he is addressing the nation... He says, they will come with weeping and with supplications. Will I lead them? I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. That's how God saw it. Now, Ephraim's not the first one to pop out, okay? He was the second one. So why does God call him the firstborn? And why is this reversal so important? It's not the first time we've seen this reversal. The reason is, is because firstborn in the Bible and its blessings have nothing to do with birth order. That's how our culture sees things. It has to do with which child has the preeminence. I remember I I had a family once that was asking for counsel. They said, listen, we've got three kids and we want to leave the bulk of the inheritance to our oldest, but, you know, and give some to the others as well. But our oldest is a, he's, he's a, he's a, he's irresponsible he's made a mess of his life he's 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 a wastrel. and i said don't give him a dime then you're going to tell me all the things that god blessed you with that god and you were faithful with now you're just going to turn it over to someone who's going to use it for his own flesh don't give him a dime and he looked at me like oh how could you say such a thing we don't operate by these same principles well we have to give everybody the same thing because you know you know we want to want to make him feel bad well maybe he will feel bad maybe come to his senses got quiet in the Bible, it has to do with the child that has the preeminence, not the one who's born actually first. In Abraham's case, it was the younger Isaac over the older Ishmael, right? In Isaac's case, it was the younger Jacob over the older Esau. In Psalm 89, verse 7, fascinating verse, gives you God's perspective on this. Psalm 89, verse 7, this is what God has to say about David. whoops, uh, am I in the right verse? That does not look like the verse I wanted. Wait, wait, wait. I found it, verse 27. Psalm 89, verse 27, referring to David. This is what God has to say. Also, I will make him my, anybody have it? Oh, last I checked, remember when Samuel came to anoint the new king and he came to David's father, Jesse, and he said, can you bring all the kids in? And he lightened them up, oldest to youngest. David's not even in the group because he's the youngest. And what does God call him? Firstborn. Fascinating. Why would God call him the firstborn, higher than the kings of all the earth? Why would he say that about David, even though David was the youngest of many sons? We see it here with Ephraim and Manasseh. Why was this such an important concept to grasp about what firstborn means? Turn over to Colossians chapter 1. This is pretty cool. Verse 15, referring to Jesus, it says that he is the image of the invisible God, the what of every creature? the firstborn of every creature. Listen, God is not trying to say that Jesus was the first created being. That's not what he's saying about his son. He's saying that his son has the preeminence of all created beings. In fact, Jesus, if you want to get technical, he was born in one. 6 BC is what kind of the date we're looking at right now, 6 BC before a common era. So there's a lot of people who were physically born before Jesus but Jesus, from that sense, wasn't born at all, let alone born first. He just always was. And when the Bible calls him the firstborn, it's not talking about birth order, but preeminence. God was setting this understanding up from the very start so that when we describe Jesus as the firstborn, not a single one of us would think, oh, he's a created being. Now we have who? A whole group of religious individuals who will call themselves by the name of Christ who believe that Jesus is what? The firstborn of all creation, right? Right? And they use these verses right here to say that. In fact, in verse 16, they'll add a few words. They will say that for by him were all other things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, all other things were created by him and for him. See, you have to do that when you have false theology like that. Jesus, he is not a created being. He is God Almighty in the flesh. Jesus, before he was ever born, said, a body thou hast prepared for me, I will take it. And he entered into our world. He invaded time and space that he might show us what God was like. The express image of the Father. The image of the invisible God. We could not see. He showed himself to us and God gave him the preeminence. So, God was setting this understanding up from the start. Now, when we talk about this being such a great act of faith by Jacob, you have to realize he's going counter to all culture. He's going counter to what his own son wishes him to do, to do what God said. And let me ask you a question. Can you see how much trouble could have been averted had Isaac courageously done the same thing with, with Jacob and Esau? A lot of trouble. See, human nature is to get a bit curmudgeonly as we get older. Sorry, guys. That's just how it is. We get set in our ways. We don't like to be disturbed. We prefer comfort over ventures of faith. And it can sometimes cloud our judgment. So this is what happened to Isaac. He had a clear revelation from God that Jacob was the man to carry on the covenant. But Isaac, he, he looked at Jacob and he thought, it can't be God. I mean, do you know how much trouble that's gonna be to try to make him into that? Come on, Esau, now Esau's the guy. Esau, man, he's responsible. He's outside, he's a man's man, he's the one. I must have just had a bad burrito that day. You told me Jacob was first. Let me encourage you. When you see a younger generation, see what God can do with them and not what they are now. See what God wants to do with them and not who they are now. Ask God who he wants you to pour into instead of defaulting to those who are comfortable to pour into I shared briefly about it this morning, but I'm so glad that a previous generation did that with this Jacob. They didn't look at me and go, what a waste of time. That dude, no way, God. I, there's quite a few other teenagers here who I could pour my life into. They're way easier. They're not head cases. They're not emotional. They're not reckless and irresponsible. I, it's just too much work. I'm, I'm older now, God. I, I don't want to take on these adventures anymore. I'm so glad there was an older group of men and women, many of them widows and widowers, who just poured their lives into me, answered all my stupid questions, all my arrogant questions. They suffered with my interruptions and my silliness, suffered with my repeated failures in areas where they had told me what to do and I didn't do it because as they continued to love me and continued to pour into me, eventually, I started to straighten up a little bit. Still working on me. But you never know what God might want to do with that young person. Ask God who to pour into instead of defaulting to those who are comfortable to pour into. Verse 21, Jacob passes the torch. Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die. Or I am dying. (laughs) He's saying, I'm not done yet though. I'm dying, but I'm not done yet. And until we take our last breath, God isn't finished with us. Jacob, his final words are addressed to Joseph, and let me tell you, this is how you pass the torch to the next generation. He says, I'm dying, but I am not done yet. But God shall be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Jacob looks at his son Joseph, the man that he had bowed down to previously to honor the dreams that God had given, to submit to God's plan. But now he looks his son in his eyes and I can imagine with a ferocity of those dim eyes, he looks at him and he says to him, I am dying, but I'm not done. He says to him, he says, God shall be with you and he will bring you again to the land of your fathers. See, the tendency is to lament what is lost or what is dying around you as we get older, but Jacob saw none of that. He saw what God wanted to do. He said, we must, you must not stay here. God will bring you in. God will deliver you out. You know what? We have to have the same mentality no matter how old we are. We must remind the next generation of God's abiding presence. He says, God shall be with you. That's the first thing that he tells Joseph. Joseph, you don't forget this one thing. I am dying, but I am not dead, and I'm not gonna die until I know you understand this. (laughs) God is always gonna be with you. He was with me my whole life and he'll be with you too and he's never going to abandon you. Can you see how much more powerful that is than communicating frustration because things have gone downhill as of late? Listen, I'm from the generation that watched everything start to go bad with my country. I'm from a generation that watched the church just wholesale let everything go. I wasn't around when it was all great. I wasn't around when we had traditionally a Christian culture that, that honored and revered or at least venerated God and held him in high esteem. My generation was the one where we let all that go and the church decided to compromise, whether it be as we're, we're just going to titillate people and we're going to, you know, be a seeker sensitive church, whatever, and just, you know, fill a bunch of pews with a bunch of, you know, skin deep Christians. So I don't have any fond memories. Most of my memories are of crying out to God and saying, God, I don't even want to minister in this country. Can I go somewhere else where they actually want to hear about you? But I know if you're in an older generation, you remember it differently than I do. I know that's hard. When you lose anything, it's hard. But from my generation, and I look at some of those who are older than me, I'm not necessarily speaking about our church. I'm talking even about pastors that I've talked to. It seems like they're lost in this crusade to try to bring back what they lost, and everything's about trying to rescue it and bring it back. We've got we got to get back again. Where you know people love love Jesus, and everybody's great, and our country loves Jesus, and you know, and we're all just you know our guns and our our flags and our Christian necklaces, and everybody will be happy, and the world will be fine. In the meanwhile, all around people are dropping off into hell. Listen this generation that even is after mine, they care less what you lost. And bringing it back in some type of a formal outward way is not going to reach them. So we need to tell them, you know what? It's not the same. It's not the way I'd like it to be. I have lost something. But I also still have something. And let me share it with you. Because God will never leave. He hasn't left you. Your country may have abandoned you. The cultural norms that you fell in love with, that you loved about our country, yeah, maybe those are shot and gone. But God hasn't left you. And this generation right here needs to know. Rather than us just complaining about how things used to be and we're so frustrated because it'll never be that way again or doesn't seem like it could be that way again. They still need to know there's a God out there who loves them. Because let me tell you, there's a lot of people wandering around that they don't have any clue. They think they know what they're doing. They're lost as lost can be. And they need the message of the gospel. We must remind the next generation of God's abiding presence. and We also must remind the next generation of God's unfailing promises. He will bring you again unto this land of your forefathers. Jacob reminds Joseph once again, Egypt is not your home, son. God gave us a land and someday he's bringing you back to it. And you know what? Despite the changes in the culture around us, God's promises never change. And it's our job to remind people of what they are. Whether it's popular, whether it brings back the way things used to be or not, we have to remind them of what they are. That this is what is true, this is what is right, this is what is good. And he has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord desires of thee. Right? That hasn't changed. And then he says these words. They always struck me as kind of odd. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers. That makes sense. But he explains, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. We have no record of this incident. No record of him going up and fighting against Amorites. In fact, the only land that Jacob ever owned, besides the burial cave and the field that it was in, was the parcel of land that the Shechemites gave to him. Remember when Jacob parted with Esau after he came back, and Esau said, hey, come up to Mount Seir, and Jacob said, no, I'm going to follow slowly, I'll meet you there, and then what did he do? He went the opposite direction, right? And eventually he settled down in Shechem, that's where his daughter Dinah got raped and where his sons wiped out an entire city. Well, that land there, he had negotiated with Hamor, the leader of Shechem, and he had negotiated this will be my land. That's the only land he owned. So, it's possible that when they had to flee Shechem because his kids wiped out an entire city, that doesn't exactly make you a popular neighbor. Maybe it's possible the Amorites moved into that land and that Jacob fought against them to recover it at some point the Bible doesn't mention. So here's the question. Why bring that up now? Why bring that up when you're passing on the torch? Well, The tendency as we get older is to get lazy and holding fast to the spiritual ground we've taken to the battles that we've already won. And so Jacob is telling his son, Joseph, listen, Joseph, I fought to the very end to keep the little bit of land that I did own. God promised me this land, but I didn't see much of it. All I have is a burial cave, and I have this plot that I negotiated with Hamor. But you know what? I fought for it. I fought for it to the very end. And he's urging Joseph, his son, I'm dying. Don't you give up what I fought for. Don't you give away what I fought hard to attain. You fight for it all the days of your life. You pass it on to your kids. You have them pass it on to their grandkids so that when someday God comes and he takes you out of this land, that you will go and you will take it back from them. I'm reminded of two individuals who at the end of their life Remember Caleb, Joshua? What did Caleb do at the end of his life? They're going into the promised land. They're defeating enemies, and they're starting to divide up land, and God had made a promise to Caleb he could have whatever he wanted, the best of the land because he'd been faithful, one of the only two people from the previous generation to go into the promised land. And so Joshua said, Caleb, God made you a promise, man. What do you want? Caleb was old. He was up there in years. And he looked at Joshua, and he said, I want that hill. The one with all the giants on it? Yeah. I want that hill. And he took it, and that's where he settled down. You know what's fascinating about Joshua? I never knew it until I just read that somebody brought it up when one of our leadership meetings the other day, and it blew me away. He did the same thing. No easy ending for Joshua and Caleb. Fight to the very end. Finish the job. To the last breath. We have to remind the next generation that spiritual privileges are hard fought for and that we can never grow lazy in holding fast to them. And so, but I would ask you a question Are you so busy lamenting what's been lost that you're failing to pass on your faith to the next generation? Don't miss the opportunities that are right in front of you because of your own disappointment. Yes, most of us are immature. (laughs) But so were you at one point. And someone came alongside and they taught you. Joshua chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Actually, not Joshua, Judges chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. It's one of the saddest statements in all of Scripture. Judges 2, verses 7 through 11. It says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Well, then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Hares, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill in Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. But there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And so the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baalim, And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods, of the gods of the people that round about them, and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. As the story of our lives is being written, the story of our generation is being written, let it not be said that we didn't pass the torch on to the next one. These sad words lay the failure, not upon that generation, but upon Joshua's generation, not the one that served Baal. And so, in Psalm 78, in our scripture reading, Asaph, the sons of Asaph, they were an interesting group of guys. David, he set up a group of worship leaders to be in charge of the tabernacle worship, temple worship. And they would, by course, they would serve. So you'd have one worship leader would serve for, you know, uh, three months, and then you have another worship leader for three months, and then another worship leader, and they would have their group. And they would take breaks like that. And so as they would come forward, you know, would be like, all right, the sons of Asaph are going to be leading us into worship. And these sons of Asaph, they, they believe with all their heart. You find it all throughout Scripture that they're the ones that, when the nation returns back to God, they're leading the charge. They're the ones that are reminding the people that they stayed steadfast that, to, to, to walk with the Lord and to come back to the Lord. These were a group of people that even when everything else around them was going to hell, literally, they stayed the course and they passed it on. And so in Psalm 78, this is a psalm of the sons of Asaph. And it goes like this. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. You haven't heard these things before. Which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us, but we've kind of quieted down about it is the idea. He goes, but we're not going to stay quiet. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. That's our job. Jacob did everything that these verses talked about. He came to his sons. We'll see next week as he comes to the rest of them. He passed it on. Are we? Are you and I? Let's pass it on, amen? Let's all stand. Lord, I have many a night on my bed. thought I could have been born in a generation that had not heard about you, Lord. I was very blessed in that. I had heard about the one true God. I had heard about Jesus who died for my sins. I had great access to that, Lord. But many of those who are growing up in this generation, they have not. They don't have that same access. We, religion is spoken of in such a negative light that we get lumped right in there with everybody else. God is blasphemed. And Christ is mocked. But Lord, that doesn't change our task. And so we commit to you tonight, Lord, we want to be faithful, whatever our age may be. Younger generation, older generation, whatever generation, Lord. We want to pass on the torch. We want to find those, Lord. Send those to us. Lord, please, would you even send to our church, Lord, those who, who they don't know any better. They, they don't know anything, Lord. They, 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 they're, they're interested, maybe. They're curious. They, they don't know anything. And Lord, when they come, let them find a people who are excited and willing to walk through the trials and the troubles of ministering these truths of your works to them, that, Lord, we might raise up another generation that fears you and walks with you. God, prepare us for that. Please send them and then use us to pour into them. We pray in Jesus' mighty name, amen.
1: God is not in the business of doing things routinely. He doesn't care about the status quo or what is culturally appropriate for the time. He is always looking to breathe life into the dead, to make us sing a new song, to shake up things and turn the world upside down. Let's not be stuck in our old ways. Let's move onward and upward with Christ. Should you have questions about anything or would like prayer concerning today's message or anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at four zero seven five two three zero eight zero zero during our office hours Tuesday through Friday 9am to 5pm This has been In the Word with Pastor Will a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.